we are drawing near and nearer to uh, celebrating Easter, the wonderful, wonderful day of the resurrection. And, and uh, this year talking about the hope that the resurrection brings to us within this uh, a sermon series here as we're following along with Christ uh, as he makes his journey towards the cross. And we're looking beyond the cross to see uh, the hope that Easter brings to us and the power uh, of the resurrection. And we'll make a hint towards that today as we look at the scripture and talking about Judas for today. But uh, I want to commend you for the fact that uh, you're buying into uh, this process of um, taking uh, the, the yard signs. I'm, I'm pleased as I ride around out through uh, Northeast Columbia here and even some other areas and I see more yard signs that, that you've placed out and that's going to attract people hopefully and, and I, I'm pleased to see that. I hope that you've taken uh, invitation cards and used some opportunities to invite somebody. Uh, maybe where you dine sometimes eating out or maybe where you, uh, you do some other kind of business buying groceries or whatever or, uh, or whatever invite somebody and then doing your prayer walk walk through your neighborhood and uh, that's just uh, a way that's just you and and your spouse or whoever walks with you and and you just simply pray if you know the neighbors in the houses as you walk by you pray for them and ask for God's blessings upon them in whatever way that they need to experience God's blessing. So, uh, then the, the spring fling on, on April 6th, that has the great possibility of being a tremendous outreach to our community. Uh, a lot of planning and preparation is going into that. Uh, it can be a wonderful, wonderful uh, after evening here on a Wednesday night, and we're looking forward to that. It's going to be an exciting time. So, uh, we're moving towards then, towards the cross. And as we come today, uh, entering into the Scripture... Uh, we see that the journey this week that Jesus has been on, that the pace quickens and that the plot unfolds. All that Jesus knew that was before him as he faced the cross is beginning to descend upon him in rapid succession. Where we find ourselves in the scripture today, the spotlight is on the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus oftentimes retreated with his disciples and would pray, spend many times uh, there in prayer. But this night is different. It's an agonizing prayer. And the scripture says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. What an agonizing prayer that Jesus is praying there in the garden. That he is praying like sweat, drop sweat, like drops of blood coming from him because of the agony that he was facing, knowing what would happen on the cross. Not just the physical pain that he would endure, but the spiritual pain as he became sin in our place. Sometime earlier that evening here in, in, uh, in, uh, in Luke's gospel, well, he records the fact that Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room. And they took the Passover meal. And Jesus shared the Passover meal with the disciples. And then he taught them the object lesson about what he would do with his body and his blood, how it would be shed. And then also, as he spoke about his sacrifice, he also had a time to speak to the one who would betray him. 
In verse 22, the scripture says, For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. See, that's how Jesus would find himself in the hands of the Jewish religious authorities, that by their trials, all of them illegal, he would be found guilty and ultimately would be crucified. So we go back to the garden scene, and the spotlight now shines on the betrayer, Judas Iscariot, and we hear the question of the Savior. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 47 and 48. For while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I never caught it before until this week that this is Judas, one of the disciples who is coming to Jesus as Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, pouring his heart out, agonizing in prayer. God, if it's possible that your plan could be fulfilled in any other way, would you do that? Can you do that? But if not, your will be done. And in such agony that he sweated drops of blood. And then as that scene is over and passes to another scene still in the garden, here comes Judas. And Judas, you remember, was one of the disciples. Judas was the money keeper for the disciples. But it's interesting that Luke just says that as he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. It's kind of a derogatory way of addressing Judas, isn't it? He just simply says, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him, and Jesus asked the question, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? You know, Judas had been with Jesus all that time. There's no other, no other way that Luke could, could, could describe him. But he just simply says, the man who was called Judas. Judas is the supreme enigma in the New Testament, isn't he? He might be perhaps the most despised person in all of Christian history. Several characters could, could vie for that. All, all those who were, had a hand in, in Jesus' betrayal and his arrest and the mockery of the trials. And then Pilate and the way that Pilate shuffled off his responsibility. And all of them really betrayed Jesus. In fact, even all the disciples. We think about uh, Peter really betraying Jesus. But all of them really did except for John. Because they turned their back. They fled when Jesus was arrested and went through all the trials and the mockery. But Judas is the one who betrayed him. And Judas was maybe the original Benedict Arnold, like Brutus to Julius Caesar. Uh, and as societies have always reserved their harshest judgment for those who betray, because it's betraying a trust, a sacred trust. I find it interesting that I've never known anybody by the name of Judas. Have you? 
I've never even heard of anybody naming a dog Judas. I've never, I, you know, just think about that. I, you know, I, I, of course, I've never had a parent-child dedication with a child named Judas. And there's good reason for that. Because of who Jesus, Judas is and how we know him and what he did. That he was the one who betrayed Jesus. A lot of speculation always comes up in Scripture. You know, why, why did Judas do this? Well, some say it was for the money. Well, 30 pieces of silver, that basically the price, a cheap price for a slave in that day. So I don't think it was for the money. Then some think that because of the form of his name, uh, it meant a, a dagger bearer, where he came from, and that he was a zealot. And he was a part of a group of, of zealous people who wished to overthrow the yoke of Roman violence and suppression. And so he was a zealot for that cause, an action of any sort was worthy if it came about to meet the needs. Then there's another line of thought that, that says that of all the disciples, Judas was the only one who was not from Galilee. He was from Judea. All the others were from Galilee. And some think maybe he felt that he never was really accepted. Come on. He was there with Jesus in all the teaching. He kept the money. You know, he, he was the treasurer for that group. He was in on everything. Jesus gave him a, a kind of an honored position at the, at the table for the Lord's Supper. He dipped the bread with Judas at the same time. He, he showed the same kind of love, compassion, and grace, and leadership for Judas than, that he did for all the other disciples. So Judas remains that enigma, and all kinds of questions and speculations arise because of that. In the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Judas doesn't appear on the scene until the drama begins to unfold late in the life of Jesus and around the end of Holy Week and all this taking place. But in John's Gospel, he makes a couple of appearances uh, that show something about his hand in this movement and, and his heart. There was a time there at the feeding of the 5,000, there was a movement to take Jesus uh, by force and make him to become a king. And when it became clear that Jesus was not going to have anything to do with that, many of his supporters began to follow him no longer. And Jesus asked the twelve whether they too would leave. And Peter protested uh, his loyalty. And it was then that Jesus said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is the devil? And John explains that Jesus was referring to Judas Iscariot, who would indeed betray him. So maybe we have to ask that question. Did Judas have any other option in this whole process? Was this his assigned lot in life? That he had to be a part of that 12 and that inner group of disciples that followed Jesus? That this was what his calling was to get close to Jesus and then to betray him? Was this his part in God's plan to bring salvation and redemption for all people into the world? And, and whatever happened to Judas? What was his eternal destiny? What, what, what do we find out about Judas? As Matthew tells the story, Judas went back to the priest when he saw what had happened. And the scripture says he was filled with remorse and, and he threw the money towards them and he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, that doesn't mean anything to us. In other words, I think they were saying, you had a role to play. You played it, and you played it as well as you could. 
now you deal with that yourself. And the scriptures tell us that Judas went out and hung himself. But then in Acts 1, 16 through 20, there's another version of that. And it tells us that, that Judas took the money and bought the, the potter's field. And that somehow he had an accident. He fell into that and he, and he, and he burst open. Uh, is there any way that those two things go together? Well, I think, yeah, I think he could have hung himself and hung there for an indefinite period of time. And then somehow either the rope broke and rotted and he fell and, and he burst open because his body would have been uh, uh, rotted by that time as well. Yeah, so I think there is some sense of that, that there is a, a common theme that runs through there. Possibly the full story is he hanged himself and then the body burst open onto the field below. But what happened to Judas ultimately? That's our real thought and question about Judas, isn't it? You know, all sorts of legends have cropped up around this man whom many centuries later the Port Dante was to locate in the lowest depth of the ninth circle of hell. And also the scripture says in Acts 1.25 that when the disciples elected Matthias who was chosen to take Judas' place that Judas went to his own place. What is Judas' own place? That's a provocative phrase, isn't it? Gives us a lot of thought process for this morning. So I, I look back at Judas and I say, of all what Judas could have been, look at what happened. He had an entrusted role with the disciples, carrying the money. Anytime you're in care of money, the treasure of organization, you're entrusted with something valuable. You're responsible. You're responsible for that. But Judas betrayed all the trust that was given to him, not just betraying Jesus. And the scripture says that when he went back to the religious leaders, he was filled with remorse. Not repentance, but remorse. Judas didn't repent. And I believe in the question of Jesus today, though, that there was still grace and compassion that he was offering to Judas, even in that moment in the garden. Even as Judas turned Jesus over to those who would crucify him, Jesus displayed and offered to him the grace of forgiveness that Jesus was bringing to the cross of Calvary. After all, when we look at Peter's denial next week, we'll see Jesus offering him forgiveness and restoration, and that it was accepted by Peter in repentance and humility. But the big overarching question for us today, and the question that Jesus asked of Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man, is to ask us, could Judas's genes somehow be embedded in all of us to some degree? When Jesus said to the disciples, you will all fall away on account of me, they jumped in and they echoed Peter by saying, you know, I, I will go to Jerusalem and I'll die with you. I will never disown you. But beneath that surface, they all had their doubts. They were all fleeing the scene when Jesus was facing the crucible moment of his life. Maybe we never have betrayed Jesus like that, but we betray him in subtle forms, such as our hypocrisy, our selfishness, or our attempts to control God rather than to be controlled by him. I think when we look deeper into the life of Judas this morning, that we'll see two warning signs from the life of Judas that might help us as well in our life 
become a, a deeper, more committed follower of Jesus Christ. And perhaps finding ourselves something from which we need to repent rather than just feeling remorse about. And that we might grow closer in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We might be more committed to the kingdom of God. This Easter season might be more meaningful for us that we will understand the significance of the death of Christ on the cross and that he died there in our place for us. And individually, we will come to recognize that more than ever before. And we will be pierced to the depths of our soul because of that. So what are those two trains of thought about Judas? Here's the first one. We betray Jesus when we fail to understand the reality of his kingdom. That we betray Jesus when we fail to understand the reality of his kingdom. And I think that was a part of what happened to Judas. There's a powerful scene in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 12. And I think it reveals something to us about the character and, 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 the, and the mood of Judas and what he thought about the kingdom that Jesus was going to bring. Jesus is in Bethany. He's at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the scripture says here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And we learn in that passage that Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. If it's in John 12, you know that what has happened to Lazarus? Lazarus has already been brought back from the dead. And, and Jesus has spoken those powerful words in John 11, 25 and 26 about being the resurrection and the life. And then Mary came. And a great moment of worship and adoration and humility. She takes a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And I think everybody was hanging on to that moment except for Judas Iscariot. For the scripture says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Then in verse 6, I think John couldn't help himself. because John would always refer to himself as the disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And he was faithful to the cross because he was there with the, the mother of Jesus to hear the instructions of Jesus. So maybe he had a little bit of right to do that. But he points out there in verse 6, Judas did not say this because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he points out that he was a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. But Jesus says about this wonderful act of Mary, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And both Matthew and Mark's account of that incident Judas leaves from that poignant scene, so beautiful. And he goes to the religious leaders and he strikes the bargain to betray Jesus. I read this week about manufacturing plant in, in the western hills of Pennsylvania and how they make steel tubes and they're used for many things. Legs on tables and legs on chairs, all those kinds of things. And the process is that a, a snake of molten steel is poured out. 
and then it's spun until by centrifugal force that steel opens from the inside out forming that perfect seamless tube. When the operator of that particular station in that factory was asked what's the success of this, he said, it's the temperature of the metal. If it's too hot, it will fly apart. If it's too cold, it will not open as it should. And then he said, unless you catch the molten moment, you cannot make the perfect tube. I hung on that phrase, the molten moment. What was the molten moment for Judas? I think it was when Mary poured out that expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus and anointed his body and wept over him and wiped his feet with her hair. Jesus said she did it to prepare me for burial. Judas was indignant and he went out to the chief priest and he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. You see, Judas had no place for a Messiah whose main goal was to save people from their sin. Judas wanted a Messiah who would defeat enemies, make people rich and healthy, and solve everybody's problems. And Judas forever, I think, represents all those who are are disillusioned would-be followers of Jesus Christ. Now compare the attitude of Judas to that of Mary's response. This was a molten moment for her as well. It was an aha moment for the reality of the kingdom that Jesus would bring. Remember, I've already reminded you that she had already heard the words of John 11 when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then it's a spontaneous act of pure love and devotion. She anoints the body of Jesus. Then the only anointing that his body would receive. You see, Mary got it about the kingdom of God. Judas didn't. You see, for disillusioned followers, there reaches a point, that molten moment, where there's no point of return. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, uh, verse 4 tells us that that's where Judas went to the religious leaders, and he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood, and he wanted to return the money. And the Scripture says there that he was filled with remorse. I would venture to say Judas got it half right. He saw and he confessed his sins sincerely only to the wrong people, to the religious leaders who didn't care about his sin. He should have confessed them to Jesus, not to the religious leaders in the temple. And then he went away and he hanged himself. Here's what Judas missed out on. He needed Jesus to do for him what he never wanted Jesus to do for anybody else, and that is to forgive sin. Judas, by his doubt and anger and sin, had cauterized his own heart so that there was no capacity for faith in Christ. He never believed in Jesus as a Savior for sinners. And Judas felt like there was nowhere else to turn when he needed a Savior but for hell. 
Now think about this. What if when Judas realized what he had done, just like Peter we'll look at next week when he denied knowing Jesus. What if Judas, when he realized what he had done, he had sinned against innocent blood, had waited three days? What if Judas had waited three days? Think about the possibilities that could have taken place. You see, he would have experienced the resurrected Christ. And the resurrection puts all of life, and particularly the kingdom of God, in a different perspective, doesn't it? If he had waited three days, I think he could have seen the same grace and experienced the same grace that the disciples who all but John forsook him experienced when Jesus was resurrected. See, grace means that you get a second chance and a third and a fourth and so on as often as you need that grace from God. Grace means that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it except to respond to it and embrace it. Grace means that you get a second, third, and so on. Never forget that. Grace always means it's not just once, but always as we need it. So what do we see Jesus doing after the resurrection? The disciples weren't anywhere around. What, does, what did Jesus do? He went to them. He went looking for them. He found them scared to death behind the locked door. He went through the door. He appeared to them. He showed them the grace that he came to bring in his kingdom. Thomas wasn't there, so what does he do? He says, Thomas isn't there. I'll come back another time. I'll find Thomas. I want, to, I want to share this grace with Thomas. And so he did that. And then with Peter. Peter denied him three times. So what did Jesus say to Peter? He asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the grace that was there from the kingdom of God reinstated and restored Peter because of his love for him. I think if Judas had waited three days, three days, it was all it would have taken for him to experience the grace in the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring. Peter denied Jesus three times. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Maybe Jesus would have asked Judas 30 times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And maybe by the 30th time, Judas would have lived out his name, which literally means praise, and some say praise to God. Oh, if he'd only waited for three days. But he didn't because he totally missed the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing. See, Jesus came preaching love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. And then he went to the cross and he showed us that. Ah, oh, if Judas had waited three days, he would have witnessed the crucifixion, but then also the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He would have experienced the grace of the kingdom of God. Maybe today 
you're a disillusioned follower of Jesus. The needs that you think are foremost in your life aren't being met. Then you don't understand the kingdom of God either. Because it's not about you, it's about God. It's about mercy, it's about grace. You see, Judas missed the reality of the kingdom of God. And I think we have to watch for that in our own life. And the second warning sign is this, is that we betray Jesus when we see Jesus as a cause and not as the Christ. We have a tendency to, to create a Savior in our own image, to satisfy our own desires. And when we do that, we're betraying Jesus. See, Judas portrays the idolatry of our desires. He had a preconceived idea about what a Messiah should be like. And I think, yeah, I think he was that, that zealot in, in Judas that he expected the kingdom of Jesus to be one that would be an earthly kingdom that would overthrow the Roman king who would cleanse out all the, the religious leaders, set up a righteous city council, and that Judas would be rewarded in that process. He had an agenda for God, and we wanted God to fulfill it according to his plan. You see, Judas saw Jesus as a cause and not as the Christ. He saw Christ as a cause instead of as a person and the kingdom of God. So we have to be sure that our faith in God is on His terms and not ours. We have to be sure that our faith in God allows Jesus to be both our Savior and our Lord. We don't just believe in Jesus to add him into our life out of a smorgasbord of all the things in life that we think might bring fulfillment and peace and contentment into our life. We have to bring Jesus into our life by faith according to his grace and allow him to be both Savior and Lord of our life. And it's in that process that we yield ourselves to the agenda of God for our life. And all of our preconceived ideas about this cause is settled in the fact that we accept Christ as the Messiah, the Christ in our life. The mandate of Jesus was to follow and to trust and to be obedient and to do that kingdom work his way. But Judas didn't have any part in that. He wanted to use Jesus to fulfill his cause. And see, when we want God to meet our particular needs or our causes, then we are guilty of betraying Jesus. You know, and the bottom line in all of this is, is that, you know, Judas, this is what gets me, is that, is that Judas was a chosen disciple, and he just didn't get what Jesus was teaching because he had such a preconceived agenda as to what he wanted. He was after a cause. Think about some of the things that Judas witnessed about the kingdom of God. Surely he was there when Jesus encountered the, the tax collector Zacchaeus. 
And Zacchaeus was under such conviction about the kingdom of God that he said, I'll give back fourfold of anything that I have taken. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Surely Judas was there when the woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus. And Judas would have known the law that she should have been stoned. Instead, he heard Jesus speak the words, I don't condemn you. Go now and, and live your, leave your life of sin. And he saw the forgiveness that changed that woman's life. Surely, Judas was there when Jesus told the story about the son who humiliated his father and family and took his portion of the inheritance and squandered it in terrible lifestyle until he was broken and he came back in repentance and the father restored him. And the father said, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, Judas heard all of that. He saw all of that. And somehow he missed the grace of God. Somehow he just didn't believe. Somehow he just couldn't accept what the kingdom really meant because he wanted Jesus as a cause and not as his Savior. So that leads me to some questions that I think all of us need to, to ask of ourselves. There's some statements to make about seeing Judas in our own life. I see Judas in my life when I say one thing and I do another. I see Judas in my life when I try to manipulate God for my own desires. I see Judas in my life when I seek to barter and trade for the blessings of God. And I see Judas in my life when having been confronted by the truth of the Word of God, I remain stirred but not changed. You see, Jesus sought, Judas sought to gain personal wealth, political power, and prestige. If we take those things apart from Christ, we'll never experience the peace that comes to us from the kingdom of God. Jesus took Judas in as one of the twelve. He prayed over him. He taught him as he did the other disciples. He entrusted him with the finances. Think about this. He washed the feet of Judas that night. He even gave him the privileged piece of bread at the Last Supper. Jesus did and said everything to Judas. Open your heart and believe. But Judas refused to believe. I think Judas could have been forgiven. Did he have a role to play? Yes, he did. He had a role to play, and he played that role. But I do believe if he had come to repentance rather than just simply remorse, if he had come to repentance and confessed that to Christ, and oh, if he had waited three days, he would have encountered the living Savior, and he would have experienced the grace of the kingdom of God. Maybe today you're here simply as a disillusioned 
believer. Or maybe today you realize you've never really believed in what Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. Maybe you realize in your selfishness you have betrayed Jesus because he has not met your agenda. Then today is the day you need to come in repentance. Not just remorse, but to come in repentance and experience once again through repentance the grace that Jesus brings in the kingdom of God. Forgiveness and restoration. Or maybe salvation to experience that if you've never experienced that. Father, from Judas we learn so much about who we are. We might not want to admit it. So I pray that you will speak to us in the quiet moments of our life when we're alone just with you. And that you will speak to the depth of our soul. And that you will convict any kind of Judas syndrome in our life of where we might betray you, where we haven't totally trusted you, where we have not believed in your kingdom. Father, I pray today that salvation would come to anyone today who has not yet come into the kingdom of God through repentance and confession and acceptance of your grace. Father, for all of us who bear that gene of Judas and we have betrayed you in some way, may we truly come in repentance and experience the grace of your forgiveness. Amen.